Hey, everybody. This week on the podcast is a good friend of mine, Gary Taxali. He's an award-winning graphic illustrator. Gary's work has appeared in everything from Time Magazine, Rolling Stone Magazine, Newsweek, The New York Times. It goes on and on and on. Chances are, if you've ever flipped the pages of any magazine anywhere, you've most likely seen Gary's work. In fact, I can bet you 100 bucks you already have. He's that prevalent in pop culture. His work is in the Whitney. He's been nominated for a Grammy. Coca-Cola animated his work. He sits on the Stamp Advisory Committee for Canada Post. His awards and lectures appearances all around the world are so numerous it would take almost another full podcast just to list them off. And that's the Gary that most people know, but I know Gary very differently. We've been friends for almost 20 years and watched each other's respective careers move forward and blossom. When we opened up for the Rolling Stones in 2002, we were allowed one guest. I put Gary's name on that list. Even though I have a great appreciation and fandom for art, comic books, and illustration, I think our real connection has been through music. Gary's a huge music fan, especially garage rock. He's turned me on to bands. I've turned him on to bands. And as you'll hear on this podcast, the connection between rock and art is quite an easy one to make. So it was no sweat organizing this podcast, merely one phone call. Invite Nick Flanagan over too, and voila, this week's podcast. I want to thank Blue Mic Microphones for the Yeti mics and Skull Candy Headphones for the headphones. I also want to thank all the reviews and comments on iTunes. Thank you to Edvin Ossel, Dario Garcia, Von Sheepy25, Amelini, uh, Eves Egley, and Patty. Cass. And there you go, Patty. There's your shout out on the podcast. One thing I wanted to point out before the podcast, there's a moment in this episode where Nick and I launch on a tangent about children's authors, preteen books, more specifically an author named Gordon Corman. Now, preteen books and this podcast isn't a combination you'd think of when you think of the official Danko Jones podcast, but I deliberately left it in there because... Right after we finished taping, I emailed Gordon Corman and invited him onto the podcast. Surprisingly enough, he replied to me and was genuinely interested, but understandably being a children's author had some reservations as to what we talk about, you know, considering, you know, I play in a rock band, I don't know. But Gordon Corman wrote a book that I read when I was 10 years old called Who is Bugs Potter? about a high school kid who plays in bands and nightclubs in the Toronto music scene. Obviously, knowing what I do for a living now, it really resonated with me. So I want to take this opportunity in the introduction for this week's podcast to tell Gordon, if you're out there, sir, please, I'm serious, come on the podcast. We just want to talk about how awesome your books are how they shaped us. Nick is a fan too, so please come on the podcast. We won't talk about sex and drugs unless you want to talk about sex and drugs, but seriously, come on the podcast. Nick and I would love it. Well, now on with the business at hand. The one and only Gary Taxali on this episode uh, of the official Danko Jones podcast, and it starts now. Hey, this is it. This is uh, we're on. Um, this is it with Michael Jackson. 
the movie. That's what you think about when you hear this is it? That's what you go, I think you about go to now. You go to Michael Jackson? Yeah, he was only the biggest entertainer of the 20th century. Right. Um, we have Gary Texali as our guest for this episode. Gary um, is a... Well, usually we have comedians and musicians. He's our first graphic illustrator. We have to introduce him because a lot of the listeners out there... Uh, listen to this podcast uh, because they're music fans. Right. They're not necessarily graphic illustration connoisseurs. Right. Although there is a huge um, uh, fan base for that. And and, uh, I don't even know where to start with Gary. I've known Gary for a very long time. Can I start? Yeah. Amy Mann? That's a good start. Did the cover for Effin' Smilers. Right, that's right. And all the inner art stuff. All the inner yeah. art. We have Gary Texali here, nom- Grammy nominated for the Amy Mann art design of her album. What was the what was her album called? Effin Smilers. That's right. Effin Smilers. Well, what it's called like at you know hat pound sign <laughs> exclamation mark. You know, like the old timey swear. Right. Everybody uh, just calls it Smilers for Smilers. Sure. Yeah. Um, You've also um, your your art, uh, artwork has been turned into money. The Canadian Mint has made your artwork into coins. So Gary is actually his artwork is on money. That's totally totally amazing. Which means he's picking up the bill forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you get paid? Do you just get infinity versions of those? <laughs> 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 I wish that would be nice. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. Everybody who's ever designed money is just the <laughs> richest person in the world. But um, Gary, I mean, we're, we're, we've been friends for over 10 years, and uh, it started with music. You know, my old band, before the band I'm in now, uh, actually, it's going farther back from 10 years. It's maybe 16, 17 years we've yeah, known each other. Wow. Yeah. When my old band, which was a two-piece band called the Violent Brothers, were practicing out in uh, Liberty Village before it got turned into condo paradise, um, we were practicing just me and me and Paul, the other Violent Brother, and a light bulb in the one light bulb we were using in our room went out, so we were in pitch pitch black darkness. And Gary's studio was next door, so we didn't know who he was. I knocked on his door and I asked if he had a a light bulb, and he did. And well, kept before changing. that, before that, I uh, I knocked on your door, and and you came to the door, and you gave me that look like, okay, we'll we'll be finished up soon. I said, no, man. Whenever you guys practice, I turn my stereo off. You're amazing. Mm. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, and you know what? That face that you remember me giving you, that is exactly what I was thinking. Like, what the fuck? What does this want? guy want? Right. But at the same time, we were jamming in a in a warehouse space where people were living, and you know, artists, yeah. musicians were all living under this roof. So now, this is the first thing that I wanted to bring up. We've talked about it off the air, of course, but a lot of people don't know that. Long Gone John of Sympathy for the Record Industry has reached out to you. He's a fan of yours, and um, he commissioned you for some artwork. Now, for for listeners not knowing who Long Gone John is, he's kind of um, a mysterious figure in the garage rock scene. He put out the first White Stripes album. He put out... And a lot of stuff before that, right? Tons of garage rock bands 
a lot you don't you've never heard of a lot no one bought. Well, the thing about but sympathy, he did Hole, sympathy. He for put the out the first industry. Hole album, and the whole thing about sympathy was that they put out so many records right yeah. in the 1990s. It just seemed like, and of all types, it was certainly not just garage rock, if I recall. I mean, that was sort of a unifying thing, but maybe it's all types of quality. <laughs> I mean, it's like, all types of quality, yeah, yeah. but also all types of, but mainly, like, I mean, all rock and roll. That yes. was yeah. that was yeah. A, yeah. that was a unifying thread. Yeah. So, what is your connection with Long Gone John? If you could yeah. go through the uh, history with him, you and him. Yeah, he, I mean, he he started out as a collector, and, and he's bought my work, and and that turned into a friendship. We we talk all the time. Uh, I'm due for a visit, but I tell you though. I, I, his art collection is fantastic. He he loves uh, um, painting and and drawing, and he has right. uh, some pretty amazing stuff. In fact, there's a a really wonderful documentary out that uh, somebody did called "The Treasures of Long Gone John," mm. which is devoted to just his art collection. And so it, it just walks through um, uh, his uh, uh, his place, the various rooms. He has a re- I think he has, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the biggest collection of, of art, Edward Gorey's work. Oh, wow. That's awesome. But at the same time, though, when I was at his place once, uh, it was like right out of a movie, you know, the, he pushes the bookshelf and it swivels and we're in his music room, the office, and right. just tons of music. He's, he's never had any kind of um, distribution company he deals with everything himself. Mm. So he has just boxes and boxes of music, and he's just handing me stuff. And so people would order things, and uh, he and his staff would just facilitate it and right. send it out. Yeah, he's such an interesting character. And now Jack White is kind of his own long gone John, if you think about it. <laughs> he's got his record store and, and label and thing all in one. And it started you know. with Long Gone John, really, didn't it? Yeah, he put out the first White Stripes thing on Sympathy? Yeah, I think he? he put out two records. I think The that, first two. Yeah, Distill yeah. and uh, White Blood Cells were both right, on. Right. And, and, uh, but the other thing about Sympathy is they, they, there was kind of an aesthetic, visually... That like that was uh, like consistent throughout all their seven inches. Wasn't there some sort of a? I feel like they all looked this had that same back, you know, with the black. Right. And um, that's also due to the fact that John designs everything. Right. He right. put it all together. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And the dead uh, local band here in Toron- Toronto, the Deadly Snakes, they put out a record on on uh, sympathy for the record industry and. Mm-hmm. From what I heard, you know those guys better than I do. Right. Long Gone John sent them the money for their record in an envelope. Yeah. Like two grand, like just sent it was taped via up. snail I feel mail. Like it was taped up yeah. to uh, something like a belt <laughs> loop or, or something weird that was within, included in the, I don't know how a belt loop could just be freestanding. <laughs> but like a money belt, something with the money. Yeah, they, and they got it and they were all 18, 19 and... Uh, they got like two grand in the mail. Yeah, for recording fees or something. Right. And um, they spent it all on Bazooka Joe gum. And was that's gonna... why that seven inch they put out sounds like shit. No, I'm just kidding. It's great. Real rock and roll tonight. <laughs> Live it up, boys. Pick it up. <laughs> It's funny right. though. It's funny because yeah. no, I mean, Gary. Gary is a you're you're a professor. Your 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 artwork is at in the Whitney. Uh, you've been on 
national television, you've been on national publications, all your artwork, if you ever flip through like Newsweek or Time Magazine or whatever, it you have there's a very good chance that you're gonna you're gonna see Gary's work in there somewhere. And I start the interview with you off with Tell me about Long Gone John. <laughs> <laughs> Because I really wanted to know about him. Anything I could find <laughs> out about that guy. Very interesting cat. Um, there is, though, a story. Now, you, anybody could do a Google search on Gary Taxali and find out about what he's been up to and what he's done. But because we're friends, there is an interesting story that won't get out to, to a lot of the newspapers and, and articles written about you. But a few years back, and maybe maybe we're going back 10 years ago, you were... You were the last out of two illustrators vying to be vying to be the the uh, the illustrator for the Rolling Stones uh, Bridges to Babylon album cover. You told me about that. You were wow. one of the last two. It was you and someone else, and obviously that person ended up. His artwork is on Bridges that was to Babylon. The lion. The lion. The yeah. It yeah. would have been Gary's yeah. work. It was a uh, in the end designed by um, uh, a guy named Stefan Sogmeister. Or, it's based out of New York, Austrian uh, graphic artist. He did an amazing job. I thought what he did was incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was up for that. His management company, Mick Jagger's management company, called me and wanted my portfolio. And so I sent it, and they kept it for weeks. And, and one day just showed up in a box, a tattered box, mm-hmm. and the portfolio was just a mess. Uh, Pages were scratched. It looked like there were drink marks on it. I didn't know what they were doing with the nice. book. As a, I know passed it to Ron Wood, and he just did what he wanted on it. I know, I, I know you're a huge Stones fan, so if there are drink marks on it, I'm, I'm pretty sure it, it just upped the uh, price of, of yeah, all Were you the excited that yeah, it came back like, wow. in this condition in a way? It, it well, was loved. You know I, the expression? I, loved? I was in my <laughs> fantasy mind, but... Yeah. You know, the, my reality mind told me it was probably just a, a bunch of messy secretaries. Right. Interns, it was like their publicist yeah. being like... Exactly. No, I don't think so. I think it was... Oh, my God. Charlie have, Watts was like drumming on it to get ready. For, we have to <laughs> send this artwork. It's say that uh-huh. because it's Charlie and Mick that make the decisions right. for well, the album. Charlie's like a visual... He's like a... Mm-hmm. He paints, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, so does all, Ron Wood, actually. So does really? Ron, Yeah. yeah. But it's always been Charlie and Mick. Only those two have made the decisions. I'm actually interested okay. just in this, the process of when you get tapped for something like that. Because I was looking at some of the book covers you also did. Uh, and if you get tapped for a book jacket or for an album cover or you know al- art within, liner note, art, whatever. I mean, it's, how much free will do you have in the design? How much collaboration is going on? With the art, uh, does it vary? Um, I don't think free will excludes creative collaboration. Yeah, no. Um, in fact, uh, I think my best projects, like with Amy, for example, mm-hmm. Amy would send me her music, uh-huh. and she essentially acted as the art director. Um, there was a third person in the mix, um, uh, an art, a designer, art director named Gail Merowitz, who put the packaging together. So the three of us. Uh, worked on stuff, but um, I won't do projects where I won't have creative freedom because mm-hmm. there's just no point. Uh, I'm not doing anything that's nice, and mm-hmm. uh, it's it's really not worth it. And I feel pretty lucky, though, that um, I've been 
fortunate in getting projects where people um, see that and understand that. Mm-hmm. I guess it's the nature of my work. It's so personalized. Mm-hmm. So. How did you reach out? How did how did you get in touch with Amy Mann? Like, did she reach out to you as a fan of yours, or she did? Um, there's a gallery uh, near her place in in L.A. that I show at called La Luz de Jesus, and she walked into that gallery and saw my work and and wanted me for her cover. Cool. And because it ended up being nominated for a Grammy for artwork, did you go to the Grammys, or did, is it just the artist who goes? I went to the Grammys. Oh, cool. Yeah. I, I had a great conversation with the guy who won a Grammy for the liner notes. <laughs> but I didn't talk to anybody else. Uh, um, uh, I noticed you don't even say his name because it wasn't <laughs> worth marking. Yeah, you said way more syllables than his yeah. name probably was. I don't even think I remember. Right. <laughs> After we lost, we, we split and went for hamburgers. Right. It's. You know, I mean, awards are funny. You know, I mean, it's, it's nice to be recognized and... You, and you, and you get a, uh, an audience that you wouldn't otherwise get, I suppose. It's, it's in all areas of the arts, really, but but it is what it is. It's mm-hmm. it's a popularity contest, and right. it, it totally is. And it's all but politics. it probably feels pretty it's, sweet yeah. to win, right? And then you oh, have a totally tr- trust me on this. <laughs> like the Grammys here in Canada are the Junos, and we have a better shot right r- these days of getting nominated for a Juno than a Grammy. And I'm very critical of the Junos. I'm like, and I'm the first person to say that it's all political, and it is. But if we were if we would get nominated and or win, I'd be the first person to go. I fucking want a Juno, you <laughs> motherfucker. Yeah. He's like, write a song. I love you, Juno. Well, no, I wouldn't go that far. Getting to the Grammys for a musician is is an amazing accomplishment, and even a greater accomplishment if you're an illustrator. But from Amy's standpoint, as the musician, getting nominated for artwork. Is is kind of like you know, you know, you getting nominated for writing and recording a song. Like it's it must be a little bittersweet for her because it's like, well, it's not the album, it's not the music being recognized. It's the it's the artwork. But she's probably been nominated for Grammys before. She's won a Grammy, yeah. in fact, oh, for so, album you know, art yeah, she, in the past. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it's not like that with Amy, and 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 the reason why is because. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, uh, but in the album that we did, and I, have, I haven't told a lot of people this, so you're hearing it on the Danko Jones this podcast. This is a scoop. The official <laughs> Danko Jones. I've never done this before, but when Amy called me, we had conversations. I didn't know that she liked to draw. I said, can you just send me like just a bunch of doodles and some random sketches? And, and at first she was shy about it, and she said, okay, I'll do that. So in... But three of the 17 pictures I did for her, I snuck in a few of her little drawings and integrated them into the work. Right. So th- that's yeah. a true collaboration. Right. She's actually in there. There yeah. you go. So she, she knew did. that too, right? She saw that. She, oh, I told her. Yeah, she saw yeah. that. And uh, I mean, she, she would see everything. And, you know, she didn't, you know, say not to do that or anything. She thought it was kind of a nice idea. But That's cool. So I, I really felt like it was us. You know, right. all together, the three of us, in fact, with you know, with Gail too. Um, I couldn't have done what I did without those two. It, it was a uh, one of these dream jobs that um, I hope keeps happening. Yeah, 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 for sure. Now, there's a there's a lot of aspects to Gary's work. Um, there is obviously the you know the, the higher profile things like a- Amy Mann and coins. Yeah, and coins. 
Um, but there's also like kids' books, right? Which is another thing that Gary has recently uh, ventured into. Um, the, he has a book. You have a book called "This Is Silly," um, which I have a copy of, and it's it's. I opened my shirt. What's wrong with that? <laughs> Are you being silly? I'm being a little silly. I opened up my shirt. I'm, I'm a little warm. I know there's should, I just, should I just say it now? Thank God this is an audio podcast. Yeah. Otherwise, <laughs> you know, you guys would have chest hair all over your faces right now. <laughs> That's not even a joke. No, there's a lot of chest hair. Right now. Um, but anyways, how, how has it been entering the world of children's books? It's not as easy as people think. It's not. Uh, writing it was hard. But on one hand, I don't even consider it a children's book. I consider it a book that I always wanted to do that happens to be something that kids would like. Enough so that I think, you know, I mean, the publisher put it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, it, you know, it, it's something that uh, I've been working on in a way for many years. I've refined over time and, and I have a lot more ideas it was like mounting a, sh- a show because a big part of my career, in fact, most of it in the last few years, uh, has been fine art, like p- personal work for galleries. So I looked at this kids' book project in the exact same kind of way. It was like a series of pictures. There's no narrative. There's no um, moral. Uh, I don't believe in, in morals uh, for children's books. I think children get told enough what to do already in life Mm -hmm. like my parents and teachers I I wanted to have a a dialogue with kids and just give them something that could just be between me and them like here's something that you can look at and laugh with and and not feel like you're being lectured right that's cool that was what I always liked about a lot of young adult stuff I would read like this guy I'm going to talk about a children's author I like now named Daniel Pinkwater who would write these books called the uh the Snark Out Boys and the Avocado of Death and the Snark Out Boys and the Bacon Brick Horror, Ch- Hoboken Chicken Emergency, Fat Men from Outer Space. These were all great books that had no... Wonderful titles. Yeah, amazing titles. One was about a giant chicken that terrorizes Hoboken, New These Jersey. are young adult books, though, like, so yeah. what, yeah. 9 to 13 or something? I'd or say even 10 seven. To you, if you were a good enough reader, probably you could be, like, 7 and read them. But there was... There was no morals, and that's because you don't need to worry about it. It's almost like the fact it just exists in a world where you don't, there's not really anything too bad. So then why do you need to ha- learn what's right and wrong if basically the whole thing is inherently right? Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. Sure. Yeah. I liked uh, who is, uh, those Gordon Corman books. Amazing. Who is Bugs Potter? Yeah. And No Coins, Please. I love and those books. Can I just make a, a little footnote here <laughs> that I can't believe that... We're talking about this on the podcast. <laughs> I could do a whole... I think actually one of the guests you should aim for is Gordon Corman. Gordon Corman. We should go for a Gordon Oh Corman. my God, That's that would idea. be a great idea. <laughs> uh, for anybody not, not knowing who Gordon Corman is, he's a, um, he's a children's author. He wrote these young adult... Well, not young, young adult or preteen books. Yeah, preteen. Uh, in the 80s, Bruno and Boots and Who is Bugs Potter? and Don't Care High, A Semester in the Life of a Garbage Cat Bag. We could go on. He, <laughs> the Zucchini like, Warriors. I don't know. I don't know about you, Nick, but when I was like, I don't know, nine? Yeah. I loved, he was a well, rock star to me. four of the books. So yeah, I mean, he was a rock yeah. star to me. And, and uh, <laughs> he, was, he was a young guy. I think he was in he his early 20s. He wrote his first 20s. book at 13. Okay, that's what He wrote what it was. This Can't Be Happening. <laughs> 
we've hijacked the the the, the story of your life. With no, this, this is story. interesting. I like it. He wrote his first book at thirteen yeah. when I think he had was going to a private school. So he wrote a book about these two friends at a private school who do uh, mischief. Bruno and Boots. Bruno and Boots. And uh, they would get into all. They, they Here's the thing, though: if we try, if we get him, and he says, "Yeah, let's do it," mm-hmm. I gotta go back and read all those books. Okay. Do I have to? No, I I, I can actually really, uh, I can really like, like homework, hold man. the fork down. I, I haven't read a lot of those books for ages, but I read all of those books. See, with Gary, it's so easy because I mean, me and Gary are such good friends. I didn't do any research for this. This is all the top of my head. Right. I don't have anything prepared well let's make friends with gordon corman and then have him on the podcast <laughs> after we're all right okay but the thing is morals i i found like in kids stuff it seems like it's hard sometimes to avoid being forced to provide a lesson it seems like in, ch- in children's animation and that kind of thing i even i prefer the stuff that's really abstract and fun pingu sure you know sure. or can i make a, a uh-huh. sidebar here uh, a lot of the listeners don't know but Nick, you have a connection with all the kids stuff because you Do write a little for bit of kids TV, kids writing. cartooning. Yeah. You write nice. for kids. very strange, very strange, very good. Thing, but I'm we have not that. said that on the podcast before. No, no. Um, this could be a future collaboration yes. between the two uh, of you. Because I think so. <laughs> so Gary, <laughs> I mean, you've got a kids book. Uh, the characters in the book, to me, strike me as like they strike me as very, very adaptable to an animated television series. What, if any, have been, uh, has there, has there been any talk about that? Or? There's been talk and it may happen one day. One day. Um, the important thing is that, you know, I, I would like to build, uh, my world mm-hmm. right now and, and I am working on some more ideas mm-hmm. for, uh, for kids book stuff. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know if it's ever happened based on like one book. Children, world of children's literature is funny. They they really, you know, are are in a different realm, and and they want to see like uh, product. Yeah, what a person keeps doing merchandise. What what a person important. keeps doing a whole world, whole language. Uh, it's like Game of Thrones. Let's bring it to Game of Thrones. Oh, it's like brother. there's like seven books, five six books. Yeah. So now. You watch the series and you're buying seven books, you know. So four million people are watching the show. A million of them are buying books. It already sold millions before. I don't really know what my point is, but Game of Thrones, successful that, show, awesome. J.R.R. <laughs> Martin. Yeah, you, yeah. yeah you, you talk to Nick off the mic and he'll eventually steer the conversation Game towards Game of Thrones. There's something I was going to say about I like it. I'm a fan. That's oh, so good. You know, it's it's funny. I, I want to talk about another interesting thing that's not really. It's 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 about drawing books for kids, because I remember that was a huge thing for me when I was a child. Was this guy Ed Emberley had these books that were like all about coloring, as they were they were all about doing simple simple illustrations, and they were color coded. There was. The big An book instruction book on drawing, how to color? Big book of green, the big book of, of, okay. of, or- of orange. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and they were they were kind of stick figures. You know, it was but but he'd show you how to draw these stick figures and make little worlds out of them. I hated those things. You hated that I hate, things? I always my entire life, i when I was a kid, I used to hate it. Uh-huh. Um when uh people would give me instruction books. Uh-huh. For me, instruction books was uh 
going straight to the source and looking at artists whose work I really liked. Right. Rather than somebody, you know, saying this is how you do things in a formulated way. But I way. think that's because you had a brain that clearly could figure it out at that time. It sounds well, like... Nick's trying to say he needs help. He I needs like help. learning how to draw stick figures. I actually needed instruction <laughs> just how to draw stick figures. And when it got to the other books that said, had like a drawing of uh, Tom and Jerry, and they'd start it from the beginning, you know, draw a little cow lick, and then draw circles. The thing where they'd have draw, you'd have to draw circles and then go over them and erase them. Oof, I could never so, do I that. I was like, what is this? <laughs> uh, anyway. My instruction books were Mad, Mad Magazines. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. those were amazing. The art was always so great in 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 the Mad. Just brilliant. Uh, the parodies yeah. always had really fun the writing, caricatures of people. Fantastic. Yeah, Mad was my favorite too. So, Frank Kozik, do you feel any kind of uh, sort of? Similarity at all. You're just throwing his name out there. Yeah, I am. Well, Kozik Kozik is because he was the main guy in the 1990s that I would see around, and he and he took it as far, you know, in terms of making rock art as a young man. That was almost like the standard. He took it. He made the direct connection by starting a record label called Man's Ruin. I was going to say, he he turned it into something. And there's probably other people who did similar things, but he was the one that always. Stuck in my. I mind. owe him a big gratitude. He, uh, uh, in fact, I would say, yeah, he, uh, he was the one that uh, presented my name because he liked my work to a guy named Tom Hazelmeyer mm-hmm. who um, runs Amrep Amphetamine Reptile Records. Oh, I yeah. love that label. Uh, it was out of, one um, of my favorite labels for sure. Yeah, Minneapolis. And uh, some years ago, Tom. Hazelmeyer, the the owner of Amrep, he had a gallery called um, Oxop, so he would invite artists to do solo shows, and so what he did was he collaborated with this guy in in Hong Kong called Raymond Choi, who has a company called Toy Two R, where they do these Kedrophonic toys. So uh, these guys wanted to put together a a show of a, uh, of artists at Shepherd Ferry Studio uh, Subliminal Projects in LA and and it was Frank Kozik who said to um, Tom you got to get this guy Gary Texali and so I so I did this original painting on this key toy hydrophonic toy a little blank vinyl toy went out to LA for it and that's where I, where I first met uh, Long Gone John who was at this opening ah. and Frank Kozik and all those guys so that rock connection and the art connection it all seemed to happen like in one summer <laughs> It definitely is like a, a huge connection with, I mean, when I hear the word Kozik, I think of, I think of his artwork. His artwork to me immediately brings up bands that were on Amrep, and all those like '90s post uh, post hardcore rock bands on Touch and Go and and all that kind of stuff. Uh, graced all the cool albums and even a band that wasn't so cool if they had Kozik artwork suddenly you you gave them a chance and you gave them a listen just because they had something like that and and then there was similar artists who who had absolutely uh-huh. you know yeah. uh, that kind of thing and then from Kozik I think it really people started to get uh, aware that yeah there is there is an artwork that mirrors this music yeah and it also defined 
you know, show poster art. Show posters oh, are yeah, another yeah. thing. Yeah, uh, that was something. It's true. When I'd go yeah. to uh, American cities in in the, the late '90s, early 2000s, and I'd, I'd go to Detroit, and there'd be an art gallery with Kozik stuff up you know, the magic stick and the venue or I'd go to Austin especially and I'd go to Emo's and mm-hmm. there'd be the, all these Kozik posters yeah, there. Yeah, I'd really yeah. feel like I was in the heart of whatever American this, this, the American rock scene that right. I really loved, you know? So, and it, it's funny how that art just sort of it, it almost gives the sound. Core, yeah, like to... to it, it, it's it, it's beyond something complementary. It's very a sim, almost a symbiotic relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. And a little time after that, I had a solo show mm-hmm. at Oxop Gallery, Minneapolis, and and Tom's friends, Tom's collectors, are, are rock people. Mm-hmm. We we had dinner with Buzzo from from the Melvins, and he he bought my work, and so. Um, there, there has been this uh, big rock connection, and it seems to. Kurt be kind probably of rock. would have bought some of your stuff if he could have. Maybe. The Cobes. Maybe, yeah. He liked Daniel Johnston. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> the Cobes? I've never heard him called that. Well, you can start calling him that now. <laughs> Might have started something. I think I'm going to start a trend. It's going to be a Twitter hashtag after this The Cobes. That's C O B S. Or C O B E S. It's better than KC. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you got you have the rock and roll fans, and then so have you done some serious rocker artwork? You know, work for serious rockers yet? You know, because we started the podcast discussing Amy Mann, who is awesome and obviously beloved due to her cool, cool vibe or whatever. She's sort of a crossover person, but I mean, I'm talking. Black metalers, well, garage punks, sort of, yes. In fact, it was due to Danko, and Danko, I don't, I don't think he even knows this. What's that? Danko came back from a, a, a European tour a few years ago, and you gave to me a CD uh, by Reverend Beatman. Oh yeah, and so I loved it right away because you know Danko knows my taste in music. Last year. Mm-hmm. Reverend Beatman reached out to me, said, I'm a huge fan of your work. Wow. And sent me like a huge stack of records and CDs and T-shirts and buttons and all kinds of stuff. What's the name of his label again? Out in Switzerland, uh, right? Voodoo Rhythm. Voodoo Rhythm, right. Yeah. He put out some King Con stuff too. Yes. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So he wants me to do an album uh, cover for uh, for one of his bands. Reverend Beatman, his band opened for us in, I believe, 2002. Like, we're going way back. Yeah, some time ago yeah, now. He was great. Oh, yeah. Really great. Yeah, Such a nice guy. I knew it would be right up your alley. Did you mention our band? And- I, I did. Oh, cool. Yeah, did absolutely. Remember, did you remember opening for I don't remember what he said, because it, it was in a long email, uh, back and forth, and he was like, yeah, 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 cool, cool. Is that cool. how he talks? Yeah, oh, well, that's how he sings. I can't remember how he talks. King Con, that would be good, too. That would be somebody who could... Who would probably do a good collaboration with? But Gary's fun. done show posters for us as well. You've done two of note um, show posters and uh, some album design. I'm alive uh-huh. and on fire. Gary, go. Gary, yeah, Gary That's designed. What I'm, talking about. I'm alive and on fire with uh, Greg Mabley, right? That's right. Um, and Louis Palou took the photos. Louis Palou took the photos. Who just got back from Afghanistan? Right. Louis's been the photographer of I'm Alive and on Fire. Uh, is, 
is Louis Palou. He's he was in Afghanistan for what two years? No, he's done at least six trips there. Oh, jeez, um, if not seven. Uh, he has more photos of the war than any other Canadian uh, photojournalist. So he's doing photojournalism down in Afghanistan. Yes, that's why. Well, not anymore. He he's. I think he's he's finished with it, and he's now done. he's yeah. just. Uh, Chilling the fuck out. But do you become an action junkie after that? You know, like, do you need that kind of craziness? God, to, to I, I think so. Work? You think? Well, so. they would they would put him in the uh, in the front lines in the trenches. Oh That's what, you know where the best photos are. All I asked him was, "Have you have you seen any? Did you see anything?" And he's like, "Oh, he didn't even want to talk yeah. about it. I didn't even want to bring it up. I just wanted to know like how deep he was. The photos though he took are just." Incredible, so amazing. But uh, going back to uh, show posters and show poster art, um, some of those, some of those Kozik posters and um, all that stuff. You know, I've I've been to people's houses and they have these show posters up on their wall, and they never even went to the show. Some of them don't even know the bands. It's just the artwork they love so much. Sure. Um, Sometimes we get lucky, though. Uh, I did one for the Hollywood Bowl, and I was given a choice uh i don't think i've ever done uh album art for for somebody whose work i didn't like okay or or, or didn't respect that was going to be my next question yeah um i I, again i've been fortunate that way i did one for the hollywood bowl for toots and the maytals and oh wow so they gave me a first pick and that was very easy to do it's a lot of fun what was the other option toots and, and maytals or you could do the show, uh, like what? Red Hot Chili Peppers, I uh-huh. think. Oh, that would have been cool yeah. too. Real Big Fish. Yeah, Big Fish. Dog Star. Dog Star. No Dog Star. <laughs> Hollywood Bowling Alley. I think that. Whoa. Would. The one Ow! thing that no, no, it's not <laughs> that at all. But you're throwing that out of nowhere. The one thing I haven't done that I want to do is. Um, uh, I'm a big fan of the Ranch Hands. Love the Ranch Hands. And um, Mike Chandler reached out to me a year and a half ago and and wanted me to do album art for, uh, for a project he was doing. Uh, I think it was called, oh boy, it was called The, the Lost Something with, with John Spencer. But I don't know if that project ever happened. Mm-hmm. But I, I hung out with him and I went down to New York to, to, to see one of his uh, bands. But that would be fun to do. And what happened? Are you doing it or? Um, I'm still on his radar. I think he just hasn't put it together yet. Right. Same with Beatman. Uh, right. The project started, and then he didn't like the, uh, I guess the mix or something, or maybe there were some issues musically with it that he wanted to redo or formulate something else. I don't remember, but uh, I'm sure that'll be revisited soon. Cool. That sounds great. Did it all kind of... Did your career create itself, or did you have some goals that you set that you needed to meet? And then, like, I'm just kind of... That's a great question. That is a really great question. Because as I was asking it, I was like, is this a bad question? Not at all. Uh, Both. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, the big goal that I've had since I could remember was I wanted to draw pictures for a living... So that's happened, but all these other things uh, never panned out the way I envisioned. Um, 
I guess just the insecurity of picking like such a esoteric, specialized kind of field. I would have been happy just to like simply be drawing pictures, and from mm-hmm. there, kind of expanded into other areas like the music stuff and uh, the kids' books and and, and the fine art mm-hmm. things and the toys. So um, I can't wait to see what happens next. I'm kind of just like floating. Right. You might be elected president <laughs> if we had such a position. Oh dear. Your speech. Oh dear. Your acceptance speech. You're gonna, <laughs> right, gonna be drawn. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Hold up a picture and is do you have any kinship with someone like and this is a bit of maybe a different feel but like chip kid or some, someone like that like because he sort of does this in his design does an interesting repurposing of 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 characters and stuff you know i love chip's work i, yeah. I saw one of his lectures a few years ago um i'm a, I'm a big fan of his book jacket design mm-hmm. Uh, he's uh, not my favorite. Mm-hmm. There's there's uh, other book jacket designers out there that I resonate with more, mm-hmm. but I have deep deep respect for uh, for Chip. Mm-hmm. Chip is a kind of he, he's a rock star in the book jacket design right. world. Yeah. Um, I I like what he does, but I I have more kinship with um, uh, a, a book jacket designer named John Gall. Okay, uh, he was uh, he was working at Random House. He does really great stuff. Is there like a very famous example of his work that you could come up with off top? It's not sexy, but the 9-11 Commission Report. Okay, I'll pick it up right now. <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go to the library, take it out, get added to a list, a government list. <laughs> and this is the best way to end the podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. Thank you, Gary. Thank you. Thank you.